0: Hey, peeps, this is Fernie, your resident psychic medium and spiritual teacher, and you're listening to Fernie Unfiltered, where we dive into topics that enlighten, inform, and entertain the soul. Hey, everyone. So I recently had the opportunity to interview a very special um, channeler, Paul Selig. Uh, He's been doing this work for a very long time, and I was really excited when I Got the opportunity to connect with him and just get to know him a little bit better. And over, you know, several weeks and months, we've kind of become friends. And now it's just such a pleasure and an honor just to be able to have him on my podcast. But uh, one thing I've got to say is that I love how down to earth and how authentic he is and he doesn't shy away from really giving you um his opinion or, or just expanding on something from a paul from paul's perspective so i really appreciate that about him and this uh interview is more around not so much the body of work that paul has uh, has brought into the world because i mean you you can go and read his books i mean i've got his book right here Real, realization which is his latest um in the series that he's been working towards. And I, I am super impressed with just the information in itself. I mean, just listening to it on an audiobook form when I do my walks has been quite um, enlightening and informative. And it really takes, takes spiritual knowledge and higher knowledge, and it takes it to a completely different level level and quite uh, impressively helps you to grasp pieces of information and knowledge that under normal circumstances you wouldn't be able to and i think it's because of the method because of how he channels his guides and how he channels this information um through his vessel through his body through his vocal um processing so i'm just super impressed by the by the knowledge itself so that's one thing but what really has um been such a an opportunity for me is just to get to know him on a personal level and i am just as impressed by him on a personal level as i am about his work and the body of work that he has because he is so real and so authentic and that's why i think he above other channelers really stands out because he, he doesn't bring a lot of fluff he doesn't bring a lot of um you know pizzazz to the work that he does he just shows up he channels and he gives you this fountain of knowledge and it's it's, it's pretty amazing to experience and to be um A part of that process. Years and years ago, back when I was first um, getting into channeled knowledge, one of my first experiences was with um, Abraham, uh, who was channeled through um, Esther Hicks. And I actually had the opportunity to sit and ask Abraham some questions um, during one of the lectures. And I received the response and it, it was imp- it was pretty incredible. And at the time, I don't think it was prepared or receptive as much as I would have wanted to be for that piece of information that I was given. But as time, as years have gone on, it, I completely understand now what, ha- what that has meant for me. So when I've had the opportunity to have a session with Paul I think I was in a much better place in a more open and receptive place and when he began to channel and he was like he was like getting to the core of my soul um he revealed a lot of stuff that I thought I had really spent quite a, a lot of time working through and working past from my childhood um but there was still stuff there that was active within my energy and state of being. And so uh, since then, I think in that moment of having that channel experience with Paul, it kind of diverted me and changed my trajectory a bit. And I had to re-examine myself in a way that I hadn't had to in a while. Um, and I'd been, I've been working on that those um, aspects of myself and really going through some deeper uh, forms of healing. But I still do the work that I do. But it's nice to know that when you talk to Paul, when you meet Paul, he's another human being who is also trying to make sense and to use the information as best as he can. And he's he doesn't shy away from letting you know that he's no expert in this field. He's not a guru. He's not someone that is the epitome of like a channeler. However, when you look at him and his body of work in context with all these other channelers, he is definitely at the top of the list, um, in many ways. So to have an opportunity to connect with the man, Paul, and to understand him from that perspective, has just been really fascinating because it, it helps to humanize the spiritual path. And a lot of us believe that we have to wait for this like big event to occur so that we can, um, understand and connect on a deeper level. And we need to, you know, something to, 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 to happen. Like we need an angel to descend from the heavens to say, Hey, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, And that would be great if everybody could have that kind of experience, because it would make it a lot easier to know where you're going and what you're supposed to be doing. But my experience hasn't been in anything like that. And I, for years, didn't know what I was exactly supposed to be doing. I just felt a call and felt a need and kind of pull into this type of work. And it's just progressed over many years of consistent effort and application and practice. So to know and to hear someone like Paul have a very similar experience where, you know, he didn't have this loud boom that says, you are supposed to be a challenger, this is what you're supposed to do. Now, he's had experiences like that, but it wasn't so clean and clear in the beginning. He just had little sprinklings of of phenomena here and there throughout his childhood. And then as he got older, um, after having an established career as a playwright, he began moving in this direction just because he felt that touch. But it happened in bits and pieces. And there wasn't just one clear indicator that this is where he was supposed to be. He just got little signs here and there, which kind of built up to his current trajectory. And um, thank I thank, thank, you, Paul, for doing that, just because I think in the process of you following and trusting this, um, you are. We're able to bring forward such validating and such crucial information. I think at a time when a lot of us are 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 feeling a little lost or disconnected from each other, um, and there's a lot of um, di- you know uh, separation happening within our collective conscious. So the material that is brought through um, the the body of work that Paul represents, I think, is so crucial and important for us because it's, it is going to help us understand why we're here and what we should be working on. And I think that the, the what I've gotten from it, message keeps coming back that we need to be focusing on love. We need to be focusing on seeing ourselves in authentic form. Um, and it's that simple. So I am super excited to share this interview with you guys. And I hope you get from it as much as I was able to get from it. Not only that, but just to see Paul from the human p- point of view and how incredible it is that he is just this average person guy um, can just step into this next, you know, from one moment, he's a guy, he's just this ragged, random New Yorker. And then the next minute he's channeling these higher beings. Um, It's fascinating. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. And thank you, Gigan Paul, for participating in my podcast. Let's talk about you when you were a child, when you first started having experiences that made you feel like something's different or something's not normal with some of the experiences. I know that you started having uh, visual phenomena happening when you were much younger.
1: Well, that wasn't when I was already 25 by then. When Mm. I started visual phenomena, I never thought of myself as a psychic um, or a channeler. God, I didn't even believe in channeling. Um, I had some psychic experiences as a child that were specific and memorable, and maybe three or four total that Mm. were enough for me to mark, you know, and in my awareness. But it's certainly not how I thought I was or what I thought I was. And I still am somewhat challenged when I have to introduce myself at a party and tell mm-hmm. somebody what I do for a living. You know, I was a college teacher for a quarter of a century. Mm-hmm. And that's how I knew myself and how I often presented in the world. Um, but no, when I was four or five, I had a an out of body experience that I never forgot of a being hovering over my bed, talking to me while I floated on the ceiling, watching, uh, watching the whole thing happening that I had. And when I was about 13, I had a few experiences. Um, one was dream. Well, actually when I was nine, I dreamt about the place that I went to visit when I was 13 and ended up working at for 18 years in Vermont. Um, and it was a very specific place and a very specific dream And I never forgot it. When I saw that it actually existed when I was 13, I couldn't believe it. And when I was 30 and I was invited to go teach there, I was even more shocked. Um, But, you know, I started to open up in my mid-20s in in a remarkable way and an unexpected way. And I think I'm still, you know, almost 30 years later, you know, catching up with all of that.
0: Did you ever find – I mean, those were already some pretty significant experiences for someone to have at just at different points in your life yeah. did you Did you question some of those experiences when you got older and you started to reassess some of those?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look back on them you know I talked about all of them when they happened. I mean, they weren't my private things. Another mm-hmm. one that I had, which was when I was thirteen, which was my oldest friend Christine, um, who was living in New York and I was living in Massachusetts then, um, told me in a dream that her father had died, and in fact he had, you know? I mean, those kinds of things, they were all strangely provable, except for the out-of-body experience, which I may never understand, but they all were important later in retrospect, because they helped me put together some pieces about myself and my life that had been sort of relegated to the sidelines, you know? I had been a playwright when I was young, and studied it. And that was all about sort of hearing voices and opening up and sort of becoming a conduit. But I wouldn't have thought of it in those terms at the time. In retrospect, in some ways, I suspect I was being, you know, prepared for the kind of work that I do now.
0: Mm.
1: But no, at the time, this was all just stuff, you know, like, probably not much more important than other stuff. But I, I never thought of myself as special. I, mean, I thought of myself as different from everybody for a whole bunch of other reasons, but not because of the psychic work, no.
0: Had your family had any um, idea or even just awareness that you were going through this process, or was this something you kind of brought up to the brought to their attention when you started experiencing these different phenomena?
1: Well, you know, the experiencing of phenomena was, was a side effect of other things. Mm. So when I opened up, when I was 25, I opened up shortly after I stopped drinking and I'd been a heavy drinker and I found myself quite sensitive and was surprised. And I had an experience that, I don't know what it was when I would that year that left me seeing light around people or lights, little fireflies started going off around people. Mm. And later so that was like a spontaneous kundalini awakening or a shakti i don't know what it was i could have been hyperventilating but the phenomenon of seeing the lights was real and then feeling energy was real and i studied a form of energy healing when i was maybe 30 and when i started practicing i opened up gangbusters that's when the clear audience really clicked in i'd had a couple of experiences of clear audience prior to that but the way that i channel now I didn't even know it was possible. Um, My family didn't know what to make of it, and I wasn't talking about it. I wasn't looking to be known for this work. It wasn't until, I guess, the first book um, was published, and there are seven in print so far. Um, And the first book was published about 10 years ago. That I had to make the decision to become public with what I was doing. I was doing what I was doing very quietly. I wasn't looking to make a living doing it. I was channeling in my living room once a week and doing energy work and seeing the occasional client. But it was what I did because I was so interested in it. It wasn't what I was doing because I thought I could make a buck, you know, or, or get, a, get a career. I liked my career. I liked teaching, you know. I liked what I did but I was fascinated by this stuff so I kept doing it so my family has come around my younger brother reads the books which I think is quite lovely and remarkable and my mother has tried to read the books and can't she said the book is too much on forgiveness and she's unable to forgive and I I understand that I guess but you know the psychic work that I do I mean I've gotten known for it you know and I've you know, developed hopefully a, a decent mm-hmm. reputation as, as a practitioner and as a channel. But I think of all that stuff as just what I do. You know, it's now it's my job. Mm-hmm. It used to be the thing that I did. Now it's my job. I show up. I'm really good about showing up. I do my best to stay in my integrity with everything that I do. So, you know, that's it. You know, I don't think of it anymore. And maybe it's because it's been with me for so long as that remarkable or that special or that unique, you know, some people can touch their tongue to their nose. I can hear guides who, you know, dictate whole books through me. I mean, it's a weird ability, but that's what I do.
0: When, so, so you were originally a playwright and you started to work, go do work in this field kind of like as a hobby, I guess, on the side. Mm-hmm. What guided you in the direction of wanting to pursue it in that regard? Because I mean, even just taking it up as a hobby for a lot of people, it's seen as like, okay, it's weird, or you're, you're learning, did you go into it with the idea that you were going to be channeling? Or did you were you focusing more on just trying to heal? When
1: I started opening up psychically, um, and I was in my mid 20s, I didn't have a context for what I was experiencing. And somebody said, go see this person, they do energy healing, maybe they can talk to you. And so my entree into this world wasn't through studying mediumship or a spiritualist church or anything like that. I studied a form of energy healing, and it was the height of the AIDS epidemic in New York, and everybody that I knew was dying. That's really what was happening. And there were these pop-up places that began, and I got a phone call from one of them to volunteer to do energy work with people who used to come to that center. Mm-hmm. And I found that when I had my hands on people, I started to hear things for them. So my Claire audience has always been in service to other people. And it was around that time that I started a group that met in my apartment. And that's where the channeling began. And the channeling began initially in frits and starts. I was hearing fragments. I was hearing instructions. The guides I worked with didn't start lecturing through me until 2008. And I suspect it's because I stopped smoking in 2008. Um, They told me in a group, finally, they said, you know, we'd like to continue working with you, but you really need to attend to this. And I didn't, I wasn't a light smoker. I smoked four packs a day and loved it. But I was really doing my best to curtail my own clairsentience or my own empathic abilities. And with that, I was curtailing my ability to serve as a as a channel Mm. when that was out of my system. Everything really opened up. I had been surprised by my abilities in my early 30s after I studied healing. I was fascinated by it. Um, You know, the career stuff happened. I mean, it, I, honestly, it was like pulling teeth to get me out of my old jobs. I had NYU for twenty-five years. I was on the I was running a, a graduate program at another school for eighteen of those years, and um, comfortable enough. But when the books started coming and there began to be enough of a public present presence with this work, I couldn't pretend I wasn't doing it anymore. And also, I couldn't rationalize anymore flying back from doing a workshop on the West Coast on a Sunday night, red eye flight, to make a faculty meeting at 9 a.m. at New York University. It was too much. And finally, I just said, okay, I'll do it. You know, this is the work, I'll do it. It wasn't really planned. Um, none of this was really planned by me. I suspect it was planned by the guides I work with. I was told once. When I had the worst writer's block as a playwright and anybody I've ever met in my life, it was brutal. And it went on for years and was the source of a lot of shame. And I remember hearing once, not long before the v- first book came, I said, am I ever going to write a book? And they, they listed some insane number of books. And I thought, that makes I'm not going to live that long. How's that going to happen? But the books take about 30 days of dictation, you know, from the guides. Now, initially, I used to do them all in days, consecutive days. The first book was two and a half weeks. The second book was about 30 days. And that was a 500-page book that, you know, required no editing. I mean, it was nuts. And the books now, it's about 30 30 days worth of, of public sessions. But I do the books now publicly in front of audiences because, it's it's a time saver, and the guides need somebody to talk to anyway when they're dictating. I can't do it in a room by myself. Somebody has to be there to listen. So, you know, when the book started coming, and I, I began to have to be accountable to the fact that, yes, it was Paul that was showing up for this and doing this work, even though it wasn't necessarily a planned event on my part.
0: So you kind of had to have a sense of trust and faith in the process, even when you didn't have enough to validate that it would turn into what you were being told.
1: As it's still the case, I still, don't, I still don't understand some of what comes through me. The teachings that come through the guides are quite challenging to me. And I'm responsible for one thing, which is showing up as present as I can for the dictation. I don't think that channeling, is some exotic thing. It really is dictation. It's stenography. You know, I don't, change, I don't change it. The way it comes out of my mouth is what's sent to the transcriptionist, and that's what ends up in the book, and that's the end of it. So, you know, I, I do my job with this, and it's always a leap of faith. Every time I sit down, every time, before a group of people with no idea what's going to come out of my mouth, I do it, but I hear one phrase from the guides and they'll repeat the same phrase 50 times if they have to, until I say it aloud. Once I say the words aloud, everything comes tumbling out behind it. And then, you know, then they say, thank you, or period, 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 or stop now, please. And that means the dictation's over for that moment until they split up again.
0: So for people who aren't familiar with the process of channeling or just the, the undertaking that is happening within the mind as you're doing this, when you say you hear, can you describe what that experience is like? It's changing again,
1: which is funny, because I was channeling last weekend in Vancouver, and in Vancouver, you know, British Columbia, and I had a very different physical experience than I'm used to, which was much more full-bodied, and I was surprised by it. Mm. When it started, it literally felt like somebody was pressing their lips against my forehead, and impressing the words. And I would feel the vibration of the words and then form them with my lips. Mm. And that's when I got into this odd habit of whispering and repeating the words, which is still something that I do, although now not all the time. My physical ears aren't being utilized. Um, I recently, just a, a month or so ago, some neuroscientists rigged me up to some machines and to see what was happening. And I guess whatever you have in your brain that's the auditory receptors, they do light up Mm. when channeling, but my physical ears don't seem to be used at all. It really is an impression. I can't describe it except to say I'm familiar with the energy and I'm familiar with the, the cadence and the vibration and the sound of the voice that I hear. Um, But it's all sort of coming in and out like that. So it's not like there's a voice in the other side of the room yelling, hey, Paul, listen over here. It's much more like I'm wired up for the dictation. And the dictation comes in its way, and then it's over. When I work psychically, I I, I put it this way. When I'm channeling, it's like I I recede. It's like I climb into the backseat of a car. And allow the guides to become more present. When I work psychically, I share the front seat mm. of the the guides. They've got the steering wheel or I've got the steering wheel. We pass it back and forth, depending on the kinds of questions that are, are, are asked. If somebody says, Where should I live? My guides couldn't care less where I live as long as I'm doing their work. You know, their agenda isn't if I ever find a partner, I wish it was, you know, but I don't hear that. That's New York City in the background. Oh, of course. <laughs> So, but, you know, I can access that information at times for people through the psychic abilities. So I tend to say, you know, I'm a radio. That's my job. And when I'm channeling, the station that I'm tuned into is the guides. When I'm reading, the station that I'm tuned into is the person who I'm reading for or the people that they ask about. Then I can tune in and hear them and for them, which is a bit different. Then the guides can come in for some commentary as
0: needed. Hmm. When you were first... Beginning to vocalize this process, did did it start off as an automatic vocalization of this, or did you start off just writing down what you were thinking or what was coming through, or did how did that process progress? I was I wasn't planning on it. Mm. It happened.
1: I wasn't trying to teach myself to channel. I wasn't trying to learn to channel. I, I you know I had asked a teacher that I had in the early days when I was seeing healing, if I could do a little group then, and do some of the work that she was doing. You know, I couldn't attune anybody. I couldn't do the kind of work she was doing, but I thought it would be nice to sit in the energy with some people. And she said, okay. So I invited this. I actually didn't invite the guides told the only thing that I heard about the first group was don't advertise. So I was shocked. me. So I didn't. And for some reason I ended up with an apartment full of people and we sat down to do the meditations that I had been taught. And all of a sudden I started hearing, all of the sudden, once the group was convened, I started to get information that had nothing to do with what I had planned. And that was the beginning of the work with the guides. Once I was willing, they show up. Once I became willing to transcribe their lectures, which didn't happen until 2009, I think, when I began transcribing and recording, then they brought through the books. But no, I wasn't doing written channeling. I wasn't trying to develop psychically. It just happened. And, um, and I was surprised, as anybody. When, when I first started, did that group, I used to say, I think I'm hearing. I think I'm hearing. And after a month or two of this, people just said, Paul, just say what you're hearing. Mm-hmm. Don't say I mm-hmm. think. And then I learned to get out of the way more. But as I said, you know, the work that I do, for whatever reasons, always showed up for other people. You know, I don't read all that well for myself. Um, That's not what it was about. So, you know, because I was hearing for other people initially, I was able to get the feedback about the accuracy of, of the information and that helped me to trust it. And with the channeling, there was energy that would come through. So the group that I was convening in my apartment that met for all those years, I wasn't doing it to channel. I was doing it because I wanted to be in the energy that used to come through, which was so palpable. And the experience of, you know, higher vibrational energy was fascinating to me. I loved it. Mm. Um, and I wanted to be in it and to be in it in a group was a, was a powerful experience. So that was why I continued to do it. And by continuing to do it for 18 years, I was apprenticed, I suspect, as a channel without even my knowing that that's what was happening. I was being developed to do the work that I now do.
0: When you do the the channeling of the guides versus the one-on-one channeling that you do with people in the psychic work, Are there subtle differences in the way that the energy is being experienced on your end? Are there subtle variations in that uh, interaction?
1: It's not so subtle. When I'm channeling before an audience or when I'm doing a book dictation, I'm really strapped into the chair and they're going to keep talking until they're done. Mm. And they're usually, they're teachers, the guides are teachers, they're lecturing, they're not talking about whether somebody should paint the, you know, the baby's room blue or pink. I mean, that's just, that's not their stuff at all. Although people ask those kinds of questions, as you know, in readings. What do you want? Whatever you want is the answer. So when the guides are teaching, there's a very strong intent behind it. When I'm reading, I'm hearing clairaudiently you know or telepathically really aspects of the client and people in the client's lives and when I go to the guides the guides will come in to confirm things to explain things to talk about larger issues of development once in a while I'll do a reading the first thing that I do when I read is I just step into the person I'm reading for and I feel what it's like to be them and there's a whole physical vocabulary that I get you know I My body changes, my face changes, you know, I, 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 all of this information comes and then the hearing comes. Sometimes I do this and the guides come through bang right away and they're coming to teach that person. And if they start, it's going to be a comparable intensity to when they lecture. But if they come in and sort of explain why somebody has a block and how it was developed and at what time in their lives and through what relationships or situations, you know, they may do that. That. Um, or they'll give me I'll get that information psychically and they'll come in and confirm it or adjust the application of how to work through it. Um, because it may not be something that I'm accessing, but something that they have information that they can support a client with. But that's really it. So, you know, when I do my private work, people want to know sometimes about world events or you know, cosmic teachings. And that stuff is generally relegated to the workshops and the books. When I'm reading an individual, their reading is for the individual. And if there's information the guides want to bring to the individual, certainly they will.
0: Have you ever experienced any environmental changes whenever you've been doing this work? For, for example, whenever I go into a mediumship mode and, and I'm doing a reading for a client, if the cats are in the room with me, as soon as I start the work, even if I had been having a conversation with the light company an hour before there's no reaction. But once I start going into mediumship mode, they get up and they leave and they don't want to be around for the work. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed that you in the past have channeled when you've got your, you know, your fur baby with you, you know, sitting in the chair, have you noticed any changes in the environment around you or reactions?
1: Well, there's an energy that comes when I work that's palpable and people can feel. Darla was my my dog who's in some videos. She's passed. And she loved the energy. she pops out in it. I used to do groups. In the old days, I would do groups in a great big circle um, because I used to work on my feet and I'd often be up on my feet, you know, waving my arms. But the dog would greet everybody in the room. And then as soon as the psychic channel was actually go pop out Mm -hmm. she passed out at my feet and then come back as soon as it was over you know so the energy is the energy i find it doesn't make a tremendous amount of difference where i'm working there are places i prefer to work i'm super noise sensitive it's just a problem wherever i am um i mean i can hear a fork drop and you know down the hall in the next apartment i can feel it and i jump But no, you know, I haven't I haven't had that experience. But occasionally I'll be teaching a group and the energy will be very high and somebody might get quite uncomfortable. They're not used to it. Mm. It confronts them in a way because it's so palpable. You know, early, early when I was doing a group in my apartment many, many years ago somebody begged to come I've heard about this I really want to be there and she left very upset because she could feel it and she didn't want to feel it she just wanted to hear about rainbows and unicorns and make a wish. Yeah. and all of a sudden bang there was phenomena and the phenomena is challenging for somebody who's never felt it um, but it's hard not to feel you know when I do work now, And sometimes there's hundreds of people in a workshop that, and they've never felt energy before, you know, it's an evening, people are coming to check it out and the guides attune everybody to the energy that they work with. And I always say, how many of you can feel the energy? And almost invariably everybody raises their hand. Now for me, feeling energy changed everything for me. That was a game changer when I was studying healing. The fact that I could feel the stuff, I could feel what was leaving the body when it, people releasing stuff that made me know without question that there was more to us than the physical body and more to our experience than what we could see visually with our eyes. And so the fact that, you know, that experience can happen with a large group of people, I think is beneficial. I think it's exciting. It opens up a potential, you know, for what else may be there, um, because that's what happened to me.
0: When you're in channel, do you, are you aware of your physical body or do you feel like your your mind's kind of checked out or slightly stepped aside just to kind of allow for the process to occur? And then also what happens, what do you feel or what kinds of physical sensations do you deal with after you're done with the work?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've channeled in the midst of personal crisis and chaos. I remember having to channel after I had to put my dog down, you know, two hours mm-hmm. later, not wanting to do it. And the guides came through beautifully, you know, and they, they have always. So whatever I'm going through, they generally can override and do their work. And I'm grateful for that. Otherwise I, I wouldn't be able to show up quite as well as I do. So the question was about the physical process. Of Just the,
0: what the, yeah. When you're in channel, what does you, what is your physical? You, can you feel your physical body first of all? And what does that process feel like?
1: I mean, my arms are going, you know, there's a series of gestures that they work with. Well, some of them are mudras. They mean things. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm animated. Like I said, I used to work on my feet with my eyes closed. That was dangerous. I was wandering around in a circle with my eyes closed, and my arms weaving. I'm told and I haven't seen this, but it happens pretty much at every workshop when the guides do attunements, which they'll often do individually. That my eyes change color. I have hazel. Eyes and they go bright blue, Mm, I'm told. Um, You know, the experience is of being in the energy. The energy is present. I can often feel it coming in through my crown and in my forehead. Um, The last workshop, it was pouring through me and out my heart. And that was a very different way to channel for me. I was glad for it, but I'm so used to it being in the upper centers that the fact that the heart was now. In, in amplification through the channeling was new, and I'm fascinated by where that may be going. I think it's a positive thing, but it's an opening that I seem to be having at the heart, and I guess it's part of this process. When I'm done, it's a little bit like I'm unplugged. You know, I'm—I don't hold my body the way that I normally hold it when I'm channeling. My body is often a bit more rigid. Um, You know, I'm I'm not aware of it until I stop and then I sort of just collapse a bit like a rag doll. Um, I the only ill effect that I experience from it is, you know, I'm I'm super sensitive afterwards. You know, I feel. Exposed energetically, Um, I have a friend who's a medium who calls it psychic burn, it's like sunburn. But like when you're so open, your nerves are just so extended that things get a little overwhelming, you know, um, and that seems to that's after I channel primarily because I'm, I'm running so much energy when I'm doing that. And my sense is my whole nervous system is, is in the employ of this. So my whole body is actually, you know, being utilized. My whole energy field certainly is. But that's about it. You know, it's some. Um, It's something I've gotten used to, you know, I, I don't know what else to say.
0: What, how do you come down from an experience like that? And what kind of toll is that taking on your body? Or have you noticed it taking a toll on your body?
1: I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know for a fact. I have a friend who's a medium who explained to me sort of some of the things that happens in the, the body chemistry as a result of channeling. And I found that interesting. I'm not, I said, I'm not trained. This is just something that happened. I suspect that I carry more weight than I need to as a result of this, and some of that is a buffer from the sensitivity, and I don't think it's a healthy buffer, and I'd love to be able to let go of it, you know, finally. Mm -hmm. Um, And beyond that, I don't know. You know, I channel a lot, you know. I know people that can do an hour at a time, you know, at the most, or in a workshop, they'll do. An afternoon and when I'm doing a book they're often dictating three to five hours in a day you know in front of an audience you know it's a lot of stuff and it's a lot to carry so you know I'm I'm fortunate that I have a good support system of people that care Um, I try to do what I can for myself by way of self-care after I work but usually after I work I want to retreat you know i i just want to sort of pull back and be quiet for a while and that's okay you know but other than that i don't know maybe somebody can tell me what i should be doing might be doing right one of those days to improve things
0: do, do you have difficulty kind of sustaining because in, in doing this work you've in previous interviews and you've made it clear that you're not a guru but you're the person that channels the information yeah. but people weren't Naturally, going to turn to you because they're going to see you as a guru, as someone who's an authority or a fountain of knowledge for spiritual um, higher information. How do you feel about that? And do you, do you, is that something that you experience often with people after sessions?
1: I'm very clear that I'm the guy in the chair, and I don't want the projections of other people. I really don't think it's healthy. I don't want it. I've got my own problems own worries. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to ever pretend that I'm something that I'm not. That doesn't help me. It doesn't help them. I'm getting better at interpreting the teachings of the guides because I often have to do that. But I do an interview and I'm in a workshop and somebody has a question and they want further explanation. I can try to explain my understanding of what they mean. And I've gotten better at that. And if I screw it up, they come in and correct me. Thank you, Paul. But however, you know, this is what you really mean. Mm. Glad for that, too. Um, there may be a day when I have aligned and embodied to the level where there isn't some great difference between what comes through me and from the guides. But until that day, I think it's wise to make the distinction. People want to put people up on pedestals and they want to kick the pedestals out from under them. And I just don't care for that.
0: Um,
1: I don't think it's necessary. I mean, the guides have said through me that the age of the guru really has ended. You know, what the guides are teaching us is to, to come to our own inherent divinity, the God within, whatever you want to call it. And the realization of the God within is their teaching. The realization of the divine as you, as everybody, because you can't exclude anybody. They say you can't be the light and hold another in darkness. They say it again and again and again. So one of the reasons I like the fact that there's energy that comes through when they work and when I sit and channel is that people can have their own experience of it. If they have their own experience of it, if they can feel it, if the guys can attune them and then they can run the energy, then they don't need me, you know, and they don't need me now. The attunements are in the books, you know, and there's seven books out, you know, that really do carry the energy and another one coming out in August and another one that I, I expect will probably have to start in the next few months because it's due early fall. So it usually takes them, you know gosh, over the course of two months, three at the most, uh, weekend workshops, they'll deliver a whole book. So that's what I know. Um, But I'm not interested in the projections. And I'm I'm conscious in my own way, um, when people are asking for that for themselves. You know, I don't think I'm more evolved than other people. I don't think of myself as particularly special. I do think I have a somewhat unique skill set but you know the guy who's six foot five and can you know toss a basketball a hoop and get it in that's a specific skill set too based on how he's built and what he's adept at and this happens to be how I'm adept and I believe that how I'm adept is being utilized hopefully in a way that's helpful and productive for other people
0: Have you had the experience of uh, meeting or dealing with other well-renowned channelers as well? And is there a sense of camaraderie there with other channelers? Or is it kind of a mixed bag of experiences?
1: I really don't know. I I have a few people I know the channel
0: um, who I respect.
1: I'm not on the circuit. I don't know if there is a circuit for what I do. Mm. I think there's a small handful of us probably in the U.S. that are, are are visible. And I guess because I've got all this work in print, I've become a bit more visible than I used to be. If, if I didn't have the books, I don't know if anybody would know who I was, and that would be okay too. But no, I don't feel, I don't, first of all, I don't read other people's stuff. Mm. You know? I don't read any of the other channel works that, that are out there. I read half of the Seth book, when I was a graduate student at Yale a hundred years ago. I didn't even finish it. I was too busy partying in those days. And I thought that that was fascinating and amazing, but I don't read other people's work. And I, I suspect I would probably benefit greatly if I did, because there are things that my guides don't talk about or that they may talk about that I can't hear because it's coming through my mouth. But if it was coming through somebody else's mouth in a different language, I might say, oh, that's great. That helps me so much. But I feel, rightly or wrongly, that I want to keep this clean. You know, sometimes somebody will say to me, well, what do your guides say about soul contracts? And I say, absolutely nothing. That's Carolyn Mace's work. You know, that's just because somebody has a, a title for something doesn't mean that it's in the zeitgeist. You know, the guides I work don't really talk about dimensions. They talk about octaves, Hmm. octaves of music, you know, and tone. And every uh, this reality, they say, is a a shared octave with low notes and high notes. And the vibrational field that we hold is aligned to this octave. What they're doing is supporting us and lifting to the octave above it, which they call, you know, Christ mind or the upper room. You know, it's Hmm. a higher vibration. Now, other people talk about ascension, and my guides may be talking about the same thing. They use the term ascension rarely, but mostly they'll talk about what they call rearticulation. They say we're all an articulation of source. Everything that we see and can imagine is of source because they say there's one note playing in the entire universe that's an articulation in different forms. Everything is of the same source or same note and they talk about transposing the music that we are to play in a higher octave. They say any song can be sung, any note can be played in a higher octave into infinity, even if the ears can't hear it. So that's you know that's how they talk about this stuff. And I don't know, others may as well. Somebody told me recently that the spiritual teacher, I think it was gurjeet talked about octaves. And I thought, wow, that's really great. I'm always relieved. When I hear that other people are talking about this stuff, because then I don't feel quite, quite as out there in a limb. But no, there's not a community of of, of channelers. There's people who I'm I consider friends or I'm friendly with, who I respect, um, and there are people who I may never meet, and their work may be wonderful. It may not be, but it's not not in my, in my field. It's, I have no opinion of it because I haven't read it and I don't know it.
0: With you started off kind of as an atheist or agnostic and going through this whole experience, I mean, all these years of information and knowledge and how has that changed you in that sense? Have you become more spiritually um, connected or do you do you consider yourself spiritual?
1: Yeah, I consider myself spiritual. But I don't consider myself spiritual in that it means I walk around saying namaste and wearing white. And, you know, I have a poor meditation practice at best, hardly. Mm. When I was young and I hit a real wall in my life, I began to pray for the first time because I didn't know what else to do. And um, I heard a voice in response to that, telling me to get my act together and what to do when I listened to it. And that was the beginning of a big change for me. And I think in my case, having been raised with nothing, no idea of spirit or no permission really to even explore it, the idea that I could have a spiritual life was an amazing experience for me. And I suspect I was somewhat devotional when I look back at myself in my late 20s and early 30s, having access to a lot of information, and channeling is information, doesn't make one more spiritual or less spiritual. Finally, it's the application mm. of the information and makes the difference, and I'm at a place again in my life where I find myself wanting to move back to the deep, the deep simplicity of what I knew when I was younger, which is really, it's all in the heart center. That's where you find the God within. And everything outward is fine. Maybe it'll help you get there. Maybe any book you read may help. But finally, I suspect it's all about our own relationship to the infinite, which I believe is found within. You can call it what you want. Some people call it, the guides call it the true self or the divine self, or or the Christ within, you know, there's lots of names for it in, in, in different disciplines. So I'm back to a, a different place. I hope, and I'm saying this because it's new, I hope to a newer place of, of, of getting stupid again, you know. And I think getting stupid is helpful sometimes, you know, because we can, you know, you can decorate the Christmas tree so much that you forget what the Christmas tree is. Right. And the guide's teaching finally is very simple. You know, finally, it's very simple. Know who you truly are, you know, beyond what you think, beyond the idea of who you should be, beyond what we've been told to aspire to. All that stuff, they say, is transient and crap. Finally, we can learn through all of it. It's beneficial to our learning. You know, it's not bad, per se. Crap was my word. But it's not the truth of who we are or who anybody else is. And that's, I suspect, what I'm wanting to realize more. And it is the essence of their teaching.
0: I I think that's one of the things I appreciate the most about you is that you are so down to earth and so normal in in a sense where if you if you're walking down the street you're not gonna think oh this person's a, a world renowned channel unless they know you they know of you but you know there's no bright lights behind you there's no fireworks going off there's there's no extra fluff that makes you 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 just show up you do the work and then that's it you know you go back home and you spend time with Lily your 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 baby and so That's what it's about, and I think that's one thing that I really, truly appreciate you because because you make it so simple and you make it quite obvious that it doesn't have to be this big production. It just needs to be something that is a simple process. So I want to first of all I want to thank you for that because it's been a great example for a lot of people. I think people who want to develop themselves as channels, um, they see other channelers out there and they think that it requires so much more effort when all you have to do is just show up for the work. And I think that's what you've done is you showed up for the work and you continue to show up every single time you're channeling.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. I did a talk in um, Seattle last week at a bookstore and I was a workshop at East West books and there was somebody there who raised her hand and she said, I'm 19 years old and I'm a channeler. And what, what do you have to tell me? (laughs) And I tuned in to her and it was very sweet because she She was at that place still where there was a lot of drama attached to it. You know, like it's a big thing. It's a big deal. And it's almost like I said all to her and she laughed. She had her own number, which was great. I said, all you're missing is the cloak and the hood. (laughs) Sort of like walking through Merlin's forest with that crystal stab. You know, but that's where, and and they said, you know, and you're going to get used to this and you're going to get grounded. And it just becomes matter of fact. Mm -hmm. It's part of who you are. You know, the person, I mean, it's like, you know, I don't walk into a room and I I don't say, hi, I'm Paul, I need to lose some weight and I'm bald (laughs) when I walk into the room, nor do I need to walk into the room and say, hi, I'm Paul and I'm a channel. Isn't this amazing? You know, it's just something that I express as it's a way that I show up in the world. And all any of us can do, I suspect, is show up in the world in the best way we're able, whatever that may be. I don't think the fact that it has attachments of spirituality or exoticism or specialness attached to it and makes it special. Do you understand mm-hmm. that? Like, you know, if my dog is sick, I want a vet. The vet's the most special person in the world at that time. You know? It's just if I if I if I get in a taxi, I want the guy to know how to drive. <laughs> out, you know? <laughs> That's he's being himself. It's all valuable, mm-hmm. all of it we're the ones who decide what's better than the next. And I think that's not necessarily very true.
0: Is there a uh, kind of a regular occurrence where you're seeing people who they are called to this work, they're being propelled in this direction, but their ego is a massive like block or just kind of in front of them directing it for part of their experience.
1: When I was very young, I read a biography of the faith healer, um, Amy Semple McPherson, who was the biggest deal. She was probably, what's that guy's name? I don't know. Some, she was the mega church of the 1920s in California, right? She was a big deal, but she actually also... You know, probably had an enormous ego, but she was really good at what she did from what I was reading. Like, I heard people were getting their teeth grown back, you know, (laughs) after they got the mental suit. And I was like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And I thought, wow, I would like to learn how to do that. You know, I've never grown anybody's teeth back. (laughs) I think that'll happen. And I think, you know, the appeal of the ego with this stuff, it's going to be, we're going to encounter it. I've totally had to encounter it. You know, I was told by two other mediums when I was in my 30s that I would be doing this work full time. And I heard, and I said, well, when? I heard, oh, like late 40s, early 50s. And I was like, what? I don't want to wait that long. And in retrospect, I would not have been ready. You know, my ego would have gotten in the way. I wouldn't have been able to hold it. You know, now I I don't care quite as much as I might have then. But, you know, when people tell me that they're opening up to channel and ask for advice, I say two things. I say, don't listen to stuff that's fear-based. That's generally low vibrational stuff. You know, my guides couldn't care less about... You know Princess Guy and the you know the, the who killed her. It's, it's not their stuff. you know the National Enquirer stuff isn't they could care less. They're here for something higher. So don't listen to fear. And the other one, which is an important one is don't listen to stuff that is about self-aggrandizement or uniqueness because those are appeals to the ego. Mm. And I think that there's some truth to that. You know, I think the desire to be special and the you know, I think all of that's our human selves, but I think it can, you know, it's not, it's not what this stuff finally is about. So, yeah, I think we, I think we're all going to deal with it in stages as we go on the journey. I think that's part of, of becoming aware and awake is to find out where we're denying the light. You know, the guides say, The small self or the personality self knows itself through history. That's all it has to go on. So it aspires to what it's been told to aspire to. The true self could care less. It knows who it is already. It isn't seeking to be seen. You know, it just shows up for its work, which is realization. And the realization of of one, I believe, supports the realization of everyone because you begin to hold that light and light what you encounter, and I think that that's a gift. You know, that's part of what it means to to be in service.
0: I it's another thing I really appreciate about you because you are so candid and you are very honest about your experiences and uh, dealing with the ego and trying to overcome that. I mean, I came from a, a background where I was, you know, physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. And when you come from an environment where you're not loved and you feel like nothing and then all of a sudden you have this talent or skill mm-hmm. that just brings the spotlight onto you, it's natural for the ego to get in there and say, "Oh my god, I have something that can validate that I'm special or I'm deserving or worthy of love." Mm-hmm. And for for me, that's been an ongoing process to not let my ego Direct how I'm going to put myself out into the world and what kind of work I'm going to be doing. Yeah.
1: But you're also claiming your inherent worth through this. And I think claiming one's inherent worth isn't necessarily I mean, I think you would have a healthy ego. I don't think that the ego, I mean there's a reason for that. It's 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 healthy to be able to say, Hey, stop stepping on my foot. You know, mm-hmm. that's not okay. You know, that's that's fine to be able to do that. But, I, I mean, I, it's funny. I had a nightmare last night where I, I guess I i had never become sort of doing this work and I'd lost all my academic appointments mm. and feeling really bad for me,
0: you know. Yeah.
1: I woke up and I went, wow, that's really interesting, you know. You, you've got seven books in print now. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily your truth. Yeah. But I think that there's a part of me still that knows himself through all that old shame yeah. you know my childhood was no piece of cake either believe me so you know learning to sort of develop and, and encounter those parts of ourself i think is just part of the growth that we're here for. I don't think you can avoid it when you do this work. I really don't. I think if you're gonna stay healthy, you're gonna have to deal with it.
0: Those dreams, I think, are common, I guess, for people like ourselves, because I have like four of those a year, where I've gotten to a certain point, I'm pretty happy and comfortable with where I am, and then I'll have this dream where it's all gone away. I'm back at Starbucks and I'm not even a store manager at that point, I'm just someone in the back room having to figure out how to get the order done or how to make you know this or that. And I'm like, <gasps> and it's, it's kind of traumatizing and almost PTSD like, and I have like four of those a, a year. So it's nice to know that you still have those kinds of dreams as well.
1: I do, I have one where I'm back at NYU. Seeing if I have a class load, real being told I don't teach there anymore, and then some kid comes to me and says, "Oh yeah, I heard about you. You are working at Kinko's now." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I must. He told me I must work at uh-uh. Kinko's. Nothing wrong with working at Kinko's, uh-huh. but you know, it's as if this stuff never happened. Mm-hmm. But at least mm-hmm. in my case, I'm, this isn't what I expected. You know, what other life that I'm living now is not what I had planned for at least on a practical level, I'm still having to adjust to the good and the bad of it. You know, what it is.
0: Do you ever have that part of your personality or that old energy get activated when you're making the media circuit or you're on, you know, well-known networks or meeting people who are well established? Do you ever have that part of you kind of get re-triggered? Not really. Um, You know,
1: Not really. It's funny. I don't. I show up as best I can as I am, and I mostly find that everybody else is doing the same. You know, people are showing up as best they can. So I'm not hungry to give my authority away to other people. Mm. I'm not hungry for their approval. Um, I can't command that. There are people that are always going to think that this is nuts you know, and there are days that I think this is nuts, you know, what the hell is this that I'm doing and what are these teachings coming out of me? But that's it. So no, the imposter syndrome stuff, you know, especially around the media stuff. I understand that people are perceiving me in a role through what I do and they're curious about what I do because it's curious and then I can try to answer their questions and go about my business. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm still going back to my hotel room or back to the apartment with the dog and hoping that there's something on the room service menu that I can eat. Yeah. And it's about it. Do you know what I mean? It's not more, I don't know. It's, it's just nothing more than that. It's just a way of being in the world. Mm. You know?
0: So the book that you have now out, because you've got another one coming, but the one that yeah. you have out now is book seven, correct?
1: Book seven is out now. Yeah. Beyond realization is the title. Beyond the known yeah. trilogy, yeah. part one. That's it.
0: Yeah. Do you, what's the central message you think the guides are trying to get across in this book?
1: That there is an aspect of us that can and will be realized, which means known, in what they call the upper room, and this is how they take us there. You know how the how we establish ourselves at that level of vibration. Um, I think that's a simple way to put it. Mm.
0: Having had all the experiences you've had now, and working with so many people and trying to assist and be of service to so many people, what would you like your what would you like the legacy of your work to be? You know, fast forward down the line when you're like, okay, I'm done, I'm out of here, guys, bye. You know, what do you think? What do you what would you like for that legacy to be? That it
1: helped. Mm. That it helped it's not my work. You know what I mean? I'm I'm taking dictation. They're the authors of the books. I would never want to be party to something that I thought was harmful or misleading. I don't feel that about these works. The guides teach in a very loving way, and it all is extraordinarily consistent, all these books in, without any editing. They're, they're on message throughout. So it would be nice if it helped. That's my hope. And it seems to be right now, but I'm not looking for a legacy. You know, mm. I'm looking to have my work be the work that comes through me. I'd like to have a happy life. There are things I would like still. I'd like a partner. I'd like to feel at peace in the world. And, um, you know, and I continue to do the work that's before me as part of that. That's the best I know how.
0: Mm. It's- what um so what do you plan for your next stage going forward? I mean, you've been doing this work for some time now. You're you're currently in New York. I know you've mentioned before that you've thought about moving or going somewhere yeah. else. What what do you think the next stage will be for you? I don't
1: know. There's one more book in this trilogy, which I expect will be done if it's to be delivered on time by the end of September. Then I don't know, you know, I the guys say there are more books. I don't know if they're on the same teaching or if they're going to go in other directions. I like the traveling that I do. I'm on the road most of the time, and I actually enjoy it. Um, So that's not a problem. But I am looking to homestead. I am looking for, you know, a peaceful place to live. And, you know, New York is New York. I was born here. It's what I know. Um, But I'm a little done with it. You know, the thing is, I never learned how to drive. So a lot of other places are harder. That's what happens. New Yorkers is, you don't really learn how to drive. So we'll see. I don't know. It's uncharted territory. We shall see.
0: Well, driving is no picnic. I'll tell you that. So coming from Houston, where I was, it was a city of seven or eight million people. When you drive, you feel like you're going to just implode on the inside. And, you know, after a day or two, you get used to it. But every time I go back there, it's like a shock to my system. And I'm like, oh, my God, I don't even know why I do this to myself every time. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciated you just being on the podcast and also coming forward and sharing aspects of yourself that I just find so fascinating and curious about because I, you know, there's the work, there's the body of work that's here, but then there's the person behind the work and the person behind the work is just as interesting if not intriguing Because of the process and all that you've had to go through and just the history from it. So I just want to thank you for just sharing not only the work, but yourself as well, because for me, that has made a world of difference in my life.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank
0: you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, then like, share, and review my show on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and for more information about myself and the work that I do, check out my website at www.fernandomarone.com. Till next time, kiddos, and be sure to have yourselves a namaste.